Hi, I'm Margie Nomura and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. I hope you're all well and had as happy a Christmas as you could, given the circumstances. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, then it's New Year's Eve and the end of 2020 is in sight, the year that we will never forget. So to warm your cockles, I have the wonderful Romy Gill for you. Romy and I have been talking about doing this basically since I started the podcast. And so it was brilliant to get to sit down with her and record this socially distanced about a month or so ago when we were allowed to do that. So without further ado, here is today's episode. My guest today is Romy Gill, MBE. Romy is an award-winning, self-taught British Indian chef, food writer, and broadcaster. She has written for publications including The Guardian, The Telegraph, and The Evening Standard. She's a regular on TV with her appearances as guest judge on Celebrity MasterChef. She's a judge on the BBC's Food and Farming Awards, and in 2016, she was awarded an MBE in the Queen's 90th Birthday Honours List. Romy's style of Indian cooking combines Indian and British cuisine. She combines spices and flavors that she grew up with in India with ingredients that she was only introduced to when she moved to the UK. She started her cooking career with supper clubs, spices, sauces, and chutneys, and then went on to open her own restaurant, Romy's Kitchen in South Gloucestershire. She released her first cookbook last year and is now, amongst many other things, a chef on the new adaptation of Ready Steady Cook. Welcome, Romy. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm so excited. We've been talking about doing this forever and now it's actually happening. And I'm kind of glad that it's happening now because you've done so many things in the last few years. I know it's just gone from uh, like, you know, it's it's exciting, all exciting uh, things when we spoke about doing this just in work. And I think it's happened some things happen for a reason at the right time. And I think this is the right time. And, you know, since then what I have achieved and, and what I'm doing. So I think it's really good to be able to, to include all that. Definitely. And I wondered my first question, what do you think you'd be like on a desert island? I'll be self-sufficient. I'll be quite, um, first I'll have that airy-fairy moment of what's happening and then I'll like calm down and be okay. Yeah, I don't feel worried about you in the slightest. I sort of, I feel like you'd start a supper club and the sailors would come to the island when they heard about your food and I just don't think it would stay a deserted island for very long. (laughs) (laughs) So whilst Punjabi born, you grew up in West Bengal. So I can't wait to hear your first desert island dish and that is the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. It has to be the street food. Indian street food is, there are so many different kind of street food. For me, it has to be the samosa chaat. Um, so, you know, you have the different flavors of samosa and then the layers of chickpeas and then onions, raw onions, and then green chilies, fresh coriander, tamarind chutney, then mint and coriander chutney, then yogurt, and then a sprinkle of pujia, which is like garam flour with chickpea flour, black chickpea flour, um, pujia we make on the trots, like a sprinkle and got chaat masala and then the pomegranate. It's layer after layer of such beautiful flavors. So it has to be that. And is that the kind of thing that, I mean, it just tastes better there than you could ever recreate it? 
I'm quite well known for my samosa chart, but yeah. I just think that street food guys in India or anywhere in the world who make street food are the best because it's cooked in front of you and they kind of cook every day from scratch. It's not that it's been in the fridge for a couple of days and that's it. I think that is the flavors that I crave for. And it's also very cheap. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, and that's the amazing thing about street food, isn't it? It's sort of the very, very best, but not expensive at all. <laughs> Um, so Bengali cuisine is really interesting because it relies heavily on crops and the livestock in the region um, has a number of European influences, especially French and Dutch. So is it true that it's one of the only regions that features a French style sort of multi-course tradition? It does. You have to understand that East India Company or the capital of India at that time when British ruled was Kolkata, you know, at Calcutta to some people. There is so many influences of different people coming through there. And where I was born in Arsenal, there is Armenian influences. Oh, wow. Uh, so there is also a Dutch, as you said, and then the Portuguese. But you have to find those. And then the Anglo-Indians who stayed there and never come back to UK beautiful churches you know so when I came to UK it wasn't a, a culture shock of houses because they where I lived was very similar houses to like this because it was built by the British at that time my dad worked in a steel plant and people came from different parts of India there so the influences of different people different cultures is ingrained in in Calcutta and West Bengal that's amazing. I'd never thought about the architecture, but that's so interesting. Beautiful churches. Yeah. You know, some of the churches and, and also convent schools and Mother Teresa. There are so many things that West Bengal is, should be known for, you know, not just Mother Teresa, but a lot of other things. Yeah. And, and is it true about the um, sort of French influence of having many different courses with each meal? Is that a thing? It, it is like in India and Bengal, like Thali. So we have a tali in different parts of India, you see. Um, so tali is a combination of different dishes, which is vegetarian, which is dal, which is meat, fish. And then they'll have the sweets, the papa. We people say poppadums, we say papa. Okay. Uh, so they'll have that and the salads and chutneys and pickles and yogurt. It's all a huge combination of different variations. So it all is eaten in a very different stages. And all the combination of those dishes make a tali. Ah, that's so interesting. Ah, I'm learning so much. So I read that you said as a young child, you were a hesitant cook. And there's a quote that I found where you said, when I was growing up, I hated cooking. For me, it was all about eating. I talked to my mom in the kitchen. It was just where I'd spend the most time with her. I'd watch her cooking, but my instinct was never to help. So what changed? When did you get interested in and in actually cooking? Thing is, I mean, if you enjoy eating, yeah. that instinct's always there about inquisitive about how, how how the things are made, how the dishes. So India, as as you know, is it is a big country, and also different states along with different states have a different language, rituals, cultures. People look different, speak different, wear different clothes. So Indian food is very regional. Indian food is not just Indian. So I think the British people have come to know about that. People travel now and understand that. Indian food is very, very different from one another, but the spices are same. It's the way of cooking, the way, um, you know, in India, my grandma, my mom, my mom's friends, or they wouldn't weigh anything, you know, they would never weigh anything, just knew exactly if it's 500 grams, this much salt should go, this much spices should go. So I think always I had that knack of it looking at mom or my friend's mom or my grandma. The reason I was all a big fan of, of cricket, I used to love playing cricket. So rather than eating was... 
of course, a very important part of my childhood. But I also wanted to play cricket. Ah, I don't know that. You're a huge cricket fan. <laughs> so I used to run away to play cricket and then come. I knew exactly when mum would make food. <laughs> I think with the, the coming back to your question, why and how it changed my thing was when mum had cancer and um, and she, the lady whose life was always about cooking for us or my friends, you know, and suddenly she couldn't taste food. She couldn't taste the, you know, the salt. She would put too much salt. She couldn't, the flavors she had, she just couldn't create those, you know. She, she thought, she created for us. We thought it was fine, but for us, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so I think that moment was like I said to my dad, I wanted to be a chef and I want to go in the hospitality industry. And he was like very adamant. He was, no, you can't. You wouldn't be able to survive. And and to be honest, he was right. So, But I think mom having cancer kind of completely changed. Okay, that's interesting. And when you say earlier, you said that you were very interested in, in eating and you sort of have to be to be interested in food. I, and I think that's really true, isn't it? You can't be a great chef if you're not a great eater? I mean, food is so important. You have to understand different flavors. Yeah. You have to be very creative. And, you know, you have to see how your your family or somebody else or, or a chef is cooking. You have to see how the magic is created. Yeah. If you're not able to do that, I think you, then you're not putting 100% in that. You you just think it's a it's another thing that I want to earn money and I want to be doing that job. But I think you have to be really, really creative and passionate at what you're doing. Definitely. And when you said about your mother and your aunts and your grandmother, all that no recipe was written down. So were they creating the same, they're creating the same dishes, but in their own way, presumably. So is the only way of learning just to learn from them and it sort of gets passed down in, in that way? I think it's still in India, lots of parts of India, still people in each house, households, exactly just seeing how they're doing and they learn from, from the parents or anybody else. I think also the culture in our culture is like, we don't do, never, I never seen my parents or anybody doing anything for waste, you know, they would not throw anything away. If there was dried pomegranate seeds, which was easily you know, available, but my mom, if she had abundance of pomegranates, they would dry that in, in the weather. They would dry it, make dried seed, which is called anardana. And then the, she would also make this liquor, not a liquor, she would make like a syrup out of it and keep it to put in the dishes to give different color. Oh, wow. Um, With the dried pomegranates. Yes. It, oh, wow. You know, so like pomegranate molasses, people do that. Yeah. They, we have, a, we had a different way of doing it or, or, um, you know, now still in Kashmir and very much parts of where where it's Himachal is where the harsh weathers or in Leh or northeast, when there's harsh weather, they all dry their vegetables. Ah. They grow the vegetable, they dry it to use in winter. So all these things, they are very, very eco-friendly. You know, we're listening about doing things now, but they've been doing for years. So I think I grew up in a family like mangoes are in season. Then they would make mango chutney, pickle, keep it for all over the year. We would enjoy it. Uh, fermenting, pickling, it is very part of Indian household. Yeah. So it's sort of constantly thinking forward to the next season yes. or the next part of the year and what you can use in different ways. And it's very good for your gut as well. You know, all these kind of fermenting, pickling is very, very good. But um, every have every household, every south, you know, people in different parts of India, from north to west, east, south, they all have a different way of making pickles or chutneys fresh. So for us, fresh chutneys are the one I was growing up. I knew not something in a jar, you know. Yeah. Now which I make and keep in a jar, yeah. <laughs> it's just different. You know? Everything, everything when you come 
go to a different country, you when you migrate, you know, like my parents migrated from Punjab to to West Bengal, so they are from northeast India. So with migration, with migrating, you take a culture, you take your eating habits, your cooking method, your techniques. So it's not one thing. Your language, the way you look, the way you you know all that thing your religion your rituals you're taking all these things with migration yeah. you're migrating you're taking if you're migrating to a different country you're taking those with that you then eat different people's food you become used to that kind of food and you know different cultures and then comes the respect of that culture i think that is how i was brought up so that is why my cuisine is you know there are so many indian chefs i really admire and i look you know look forward to eating their food when they cook but my way of cooking is quite different because i was brought up in a very multicultural community as you know where people came from all over india to work in that steel plant so i didn't grow up eating one standard cuisine and one standard dish of punjabis would cook my food in our household was very kind of focused in different ways of cooking and all would go to my friend's house and eat there or neighbor's house and say my mom hasn't fed me and i would eat you know <laughs> uh, so things um but they obviously knew my mom has fed yeah. me <laughs> <laughs> thank so, you for clarifying that really <laughs> so uh, it is something i think is for me food is something very joyful till today it's all about sharing um you know it's it's something i find really joy in and i I love and love cooking and love eating still they I enjoy my food very much you can see in me <laughs> gorgeous but that's so interesting isn't it so your your approach to indian cooking was so heavily influenced by where you grew up yes. so it's sort of it was it was sort of indian fusion food almost which makes it so different to another chef cooking indian food which is so interesting absolutely absolutely people um you know have so many wonderful restaurants in london and various other places in uk they all have their ways of cooking they've learned from someone or they've gone to culinary institute which i never went and i think f- food is something you can you don't you know it's great to go to culinary institute to have the basic knowledge and all that kind of thing but you can become a great chef without even going to a culinary institute and i have worked in my kitchen for not to prove to others to prove myself i can do this I think um also is fair enough if you're cooking at home for five people and then cooking for 100 people yeah, in a restaurant is completely different. different. <laughs> so I think those long hours and and learning from people criticism is very important good or bad how you take it is very very good that's why I never looked at TripAdvisor people moan about it people say good things or bad things I never because that was not what I was there for I I was there to feed people the food I grew up eating and then also the food that I came to know in this country and how I could put spices and create magic with those ingredients or the produce I I found in this country so for my, me it was very different and I did, I just focused on that and rest was history yeah that's very wise words Romy but we have to pause there and talk about the second <laughs> desert island dish and that is the first dish you learned to cook first dish is is paratha which is the flat bread and mm-hmm. um, actually going back is the dough so making the dough is very important part of a chapati or a paratha or any kind of indian flat bread so mom taught me how to make a dough properly because there's a way you know people do it differently but my mom so what's I, the secret um i not nothing it's just the kneading okay it's just how you knead and how you prune and how you keep it for certain time and where you keep it the temperature i think all that kind of you learn if you just like in a rush you knead a dough and 
and and start making chapati it wouldn't be working work the same way it would after you make it in 20 minutes or half an hour or an hour and you, how which flour you're using as well um for me that is what i learned but parathas was something which is stuffed um bread flat bread with different things so aloo paratha which is potatoes with mixed with spices and onion was the first thing i learned and how old would you have been 10 okay 10 yeah because mum wouldn't force me when i used to say oh, i don't want to cook I'm, i would just like to you know sometimes like mum is doing something and all the ladies are sitting and doing something i would like to do the do it's always something quite calming i think the yeah, kids love it i think also mess doing something messy kids like yeah. that kind of thing and <laughs> i think my mum kind of was quite happy that i enjoyed doing that yeah <laughs> she managed to prize you away from the cricket for a moment yeah. So you moved to the UK in 1994 with and I read this rather romantic description in an interview with you where it said when Romy moved to England she only brought with her a suitcase a wealth of cooking knowledge and an ambitious dream and I feel like that's the start of a Bollywood blockbuster isn't it Romy It is it was <laughs> yes <laughs> And so when you moved to the UK what was the plan I wanted to to study in the university which I eventually did and then always back of my mind was to go in the food business always you know at, in my house we always had dinner parties every weekend we had dinner parties and i loved to be the hostess and cook for people um i enjoyed it that's how i made lot of friends wherever we moved with my husband's job he's a computer chip designer and wherever we moved with his job i met people i and that is the best way to make friendships because you have to understand when you move to a different country it's a culture shock because of course i could speak english but um the people have different dialects the way they speak are very, is very different yeah. and then also i left my friends my family to come to a new country so no one was going to come knocking at my door hi my name is this and i'm i want you know so i had to make that effort to to be able to introduce myself and the best way was to do invite people to my house and have have the food you know so i think i did that then you know along the way when my husband first time took me out to eat in a restaurant i said i will open a restaurant you know which which <laughs> i did later on in the years what um, because because of your experience in eating in a british curry house yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what you just thought no i can do so much better than this this isn't even authentic i think to be honest we should give a lot of credit to the curry houses yes. because if the curry houses did not exist i wouldn't be existing today because they brought you know introduce the british people to the spicy food to the food that is quite something very different which british people had never experienced before so yes but i necessarily wouldn't eat that food but i i don't want to say anything because there is a place for five pints of analaga which yeah. is wonderful because we all have to exist and but that's not my kind of food but because of them i exist today as well because you know people love indian food yeah that's such an interesting way of thinking about it i guess the curry houses for a lot of people as you say it was an introduction yes. to a different kind of cuisine and then you've sort of put your own spin on it and elevated it and exactly this place for everybody there's no need to bad mouth each other yeah, i no, think so you know i learned something from them and probably they might learn something from me <laughs> yeah So let's talk about the third desert island dish and Romy that is the best dish you've ever eaten 
best dish I have ever eaten. So, I mean, I won't say about Indian food. Indian food is something, you know, the whole region kind of my mom would cook or something, curry chawl or rajma chawl. But when I moved to UK and I went to um, my favorite fish and chips shop, which doesn't exist anymore. Oh, no. Um, you know, and... Um, Sadly, but uh, first time eating fish and chips forever. I still remember the vinegar on the right crispiness of the chips and vinegar on them and the, the saltiness on the on the chips and then the no skin on the fish. I like no skin on the fish and, and beautifully like seasoned. You know, sometimes you get fish and chips, there's no season. The fish is there, the bat is there, beautifully seasoned. And for me, seasoning is so important. Even if salt or pepper is very important to me. So I think this has to be that fish and chips. And I, I cannot, I mean, I do make the killer fish and chips, but I still cannot get that right. <laughs> and where were you? Where was the um, fish and chips? It, it was in uh, Scotland. <gasps> I mean, we lived there for many, many years. Oh, amazing. So whereabouts was it? It's in West Calder. Okay. And so how long had you been in England when you had your first fish and chips? Um, I had in various places, but that wasn't the one. Wasn't yeah. the one, yeah. <laughs> That's an excellent choice. So when you decided to start cooking as a career, you started with your supper clubs and making spices and chutneys and sauces before eventually opening Romy's Kitchen restaurant in 2013. Tell us a little bit about that early stage with the supper clubs and making the products. My daughter was six months old, you know, when I was like, you know, dinner parties are fine. Your um, teaching is fine. You know, all, all those things are OK. But I, in order to move forward, I still wanted to work around my kids, both my daughters. And um, for me, it was kind of like I have to start looking, you know, looking a place and 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 my friends, then I made friends, then when we moved to where, that is my home now where I live in Thornbury. And they used to say, Romy, you're good at talking. Why don't you teach people? And maybe go to different cookery schools. And so I started writing to people. I started teaching in Thornbury. And that gave me a confidence to write to other schools and then restaurants as well. I want to come and work and I'm free, I work for free. I and, want to learn all that. And literally just a case of, of randomly like cold calling people and yes, writing. Yes, writing say, emails or letters. Amazing. I just think that if you want to gain something in your life, if you want to achieve something in your life, you've got to do it. It starts from your house, you know, you've got to do that for yourself. Uh, for me, that was the very case because I didn't have a godfather or a godmother in the industry who could say, yeah, let's come on. Yeah. I introduce you to such and such. Oh, why don't you work in this and you yeah. know, here? <laughs> so I think I was very ready to do that. And I think that to me was very important that I started doing that and then gave the supper clubs and, and also you know, years ago, like 18, 15, 18 years, 17 years ago, things were a bit different from what they are now. Social media, like Instagram and things like that was not a big part. It was a simpler time. Yes. Really. <laughs> and then you went on an unknown chef to open an authentically Indian restaurant. Being a woman, an immigrant from West Bengal and having no restaurant experience to speak of, I read in several interviews that your loan applications got rejected by numerous banks. So you sold your jewelry and used the proceeds along with savings to bring the cooking of your childhood to life in your restaurant. I mean, that is quite a story. <laughs> it is. I just, I had a lot of gold jewelry. I thought um, my daughters were very little. They didn't understand. And I asked them and they just shrugged their shoulders <laughs> and said, we don't want to wear the yellow gold. And and also in India, in our culture, it is that if you get a lot of jewelry and stuff, it's time for in time for if you need some one day you need it you sell it and you can use it for whatever you want 
So I think my my parents gave me for that, and I kind of rang them, and they said it's yours to do what you want to. And I and me and my husband decided we're going to do that. We had a lot of shares and other things we put in, but it, I think banks, in a way, you know, it's a bit different now that. A, a woman who's not worked in a restaurant, like, yes, yeah, she does here and there and who's never, you know, opened a restaurant before, who's not dealt with a restaurant. And then also brown women, all you know, factors related to it. Then I think my husband was just looking at the news and he suddenly saw that BBC was looking for people, for small businesses, that the government is funding the banks and the, gov- the, the banks are not giving loans to the small businesses. Just not me, for many other people. It's not because I was brown and I was not getting it. It was for many other people. Yeah. So um, my husband just um, wrote an email to them and BBC came and, and we did a whole feature on the news. And next day I got a loan from NetVest. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I didn't need a huge amount. It was just a little bit to just be on the safe side. So yeah. the power of social media done right can be amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. And another example of your husband writing and, exactly. and something happening from that. And yeah, I mean, what is the point in having gold jewelry if you can't trade it to make your dreams come true? That yeah, seems exactly. a very good exchange. Um, I've read several interviews with you where you've been asked about the responsibility you feel as an Indian woman who's unbelievably successful and in such an overwhelmingly white and male-dominated profession and sort of the responsibility that you feel to serve as an inspiration for female chefs. And from what I've read, your answer always seems to be the same. And the answer is, I'm a good chef. And being an immigrant, brown, female, all of that comes later. And I wondered, do you tire of those sorts of questions? <laughs> I do you know what I don't want to play immigration in my you know immigrant woman card. I don't want to play that card. I'm not that person. Some people do. I don't wait for opportunities. I just go and get it. I write to people. You know, I approach people in a really, I'm not nasty or you have to give me, I pitch my ideas to various publications. It is hard. It's not easy. You're full time doing other things and a mom, a wife and a housewife or your own identity, what you are doing, you know. As a, as a small businesses or, or a chef. So I've never played that card. For me, that's not important. That comes way down. Uh, but I want men and women to respect me as a chef, not divide me into a female chef. And a chef is a chef. Yeah, I don't completely. want them people. Yes, you know, women, women chef and female chefs should be pushed more in the industry, should be recognized more in the industry. But I don't want to play that card. Yeah, they've got to respect your food before they respect anything else. Exactly. Yeah, well, your food definitely speaks for itself. So I think you've (laughs) achieved that, Romy. We're going to move on to the fourth Desert Island dish. And that is, what is your favorite sandwich? Do you know what? When I saw that question, I was like, I do not like sandwiches. Okay, but that's interesting. (laughs) Talk to me. I wish I didn't like sandwiches. (laughs) I'm not a great fan of sandwiches until I make it. Okay. Um, You know, it depends. But I'm a fan of toasties. Well, that counts. You know, so I like something really warm. That's always been, you know, I'm a fan of like in India, we have, we'll put paneer in it, you know, or great paneer with spinach. Uh, We'll have keema, which is like lamb or goat meat or mutton or chicken or anything like that or vegetables. So I'm a fan of that kind of, you know. And and what would the bread be? 
white bread mostly in okay. India. Okay. And also nowadays you can get brown and a seeded one as well. When I was growing up, it was very much white bread. Okay. And you, um, so you would get a toasted white sandwich. And people didn't have toasties. Many people, they made in a pan. Okay. Yeah, of course. Easy to make. Yeah, I, I way easier. It's so easy to make. <laughs> yeah. You just brown both the sides and then put whatever you're going to do it and then seal it. Yeah. Very easy way of doing it. Push down with yeah. a saucepan lid or exactly. something. Exactly. You don't yeah. have to go and buy all these things. Old method and techniques are brilliant still. Yeah. Also, toasting machines take up a lot of room in the kitchen. They do. And, they, and the cleaning, to yeah. clean it. And how often are you eating toasters to justify a whole bit of kit? <laughs> <laughs> so two years after opening, you were appointed an MBE in the Queen's 90th birthday honours list for services to the hospitality industry. How incredible and exciting must that have been? Please tell us about it. Like, how did you find out that you'd been awarded the honour? I think I was doing some recording for BBC Radio Bristol or something. I just came and and I um, came to my restaurant and I said, everything okay for lunch? And they said, chef, I was fine. It was quiet and we did manage whatever it was. And and then he, he said, chef, there's lettuce there. And I looked at it and I thought... Oh gosh, another pair of bills, <laughs> like nonstop. I took it home and and then my daughter said, "Mum, that is not a bill. That looks like stamp. You know, it's like uh, different." So she opened. It. I said, "You can open it." I I used to go home literally for twenty or fifty, you know, half an hour, an hour just to be. That's why I opened Rumi's Kitchen in Thornbury, so I could go home, have a bit of rest with my daughters and see them, and then go back to work. So I was like just having, a, you know, lying there and my daughter's jumping and saying, what? <laughs> and then I read it. I still couldn't believe it because I rang them three times to the cabinet office that you must have gone some other roomy wrong. Roomy. <laughs> you <laughs> rang them to check that they hadn't made a <laughs> And they laughed every time I rang them. Because Did I you said, speak to the same person each time? <laughs> I think they probably, kind of, it, 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 it was a number that I had and they were every time they laughed at me and they said, you have to believe it is us. It's not something, you know, I just thought somebody's playing. I mean, that would be the joke the, on me. That would be the meanest joke. <laughs> I don't know. But it, the thing is, I never ever thought about MBE. I know what it was, but I never thought about it any other way. And uh, for, for me, it was all about food cooking. This was important. I never win awards. I never win awards. So it was until now. Then <laughs> I, I want a big one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to be. You don't want to be winning some stinky cheese in a raffle when you're ten. <laughs> no, so I never win any like restaurant or chef awards. So I just thought, you know what? So the third time, eventually, they, they said it is it is right. People were not like making a joke and. And and until I was in the Buckingham Palace with my daughters, and my husband, I just still didn't. I was binging myself, really. I'm 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 that kind of person. Well, from a very small town, I dreams. You know, I this wasn't my dream. So yeah, I mean, it's sort of almost too big for anyone to dream because it's yeah. you know, how do you dream ab- about that? Like about yeah. something, you dream about some some things that in you know that you can sort of work towards. I dream and... about food. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the best dreams. Well, so did you get to take your daughters on the day? Yes, my daughters and my husband. We all went as a family. But also another thing I found out later that my daughters, if they wanted to, they can get married in St. Paul's Cathedral. So that is very cool. So I was saying to my daughters, when you, if and when you ever get married, you can get married. It'd be just a very low key wedding. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Please, can we now talk about Ready, Steady, Cook? You are one of the chefs on the revamped new Ready, Steady, Cook, which you've said was very emotional when you found out. Tell us about it. Last year was a year when um, when my mom passed away suddenly. I think we all, my as a family, we were close to her, all the siblings. Um, she was full of life and full of flavor, a lady with love for food and everybody. So I think suddenly her passing away was like, you know, I had literally come from work and um, restaurant and at two o'clock I had just gone to bed and then um, my husband woke me. I, I couldn't sleep. You know, this was something. I was really restless and uh, he said, you haven't, you didn't sleep. Just have, have, you know, it was like Saturday and Sunday. It was my day off. He said, why don't you still lie in bed? I'll bring you a cup of tea. And literally he went down and came upstairs and they all woke me up, my daughters and him. So I think that shock and then going to India, and then I I had to shoot for my first book, which took 10 years to publish, just to say yes to a book. Um, so I think they couldn't change the dates for that. Mom passing away, and I had to come back. And then uh, I had, in August, uh, my um, lease was going up in May, and whether I wanted to carry on the lease for the restaurant, I had to make a decision. So there were three really massive decisions that you know, things happened in my life. It was so stressful. And suddenly I got an email from production house saying, we would love to meet you. And, you know, and in, when can you be in London? And I said, oh, I'm recording for Radio 4 and I'm in London tomorrow. So I literally went and met them. And, and then two or three weeks later, and they said, I said, and she said, are you home? I would like to call you and Kat. I love Kat. She's the executive producer of the Remarkable Production House. She, I said, if you have anything bad, I won't take, I won't be able to take another, yeah. another, <laughs> another thing on my, you know, this year. I can't because I had literally had a major accident as well a month ago, which a lorry came and just hit my mini. And oh, really? so I think last year, I just like, I dealt with so many things in my life and I just, I said, if you have not got any good news for me, please don't even tell me, just email yeah. me. <laughs> don't, don't even email me, but I'll just never speak to you again. <laughs> um, she said, no, I have good news. Can I call you? And and um, I just literally cried because I, I, I mean, for some people, it might not matter. It mattered to me. I literally broke down and I did. My sisters, my, not sisters, my daughters were like, What's happened to mommy now? <laughs> what is, what's wrong with her? Because they started crying. You know, what's oh. happening? I said, no, no, it's all good. I think, yeah, it, it was quite emotional in a way. I just burst into tears because I just think I couldn't take any more bad news. Yeah. And it had been something that you watched growing up. Wasn't so it? it was when I came to UK in 93, 94, when I came here, there were like TV things like Ready, Steady, Cook. There was TV, uh, Delia, obviously, Keith Floyd, Two Fat Ladies. Um, so for me to watch that when I was not, you know, when I was not working and I used to watch that and say, wouldn't it be amazing to go on the show just holding this green peppers and red tomatoes? And well, even just in the audience. The audience. Yeah. I never, it wasn't something I wanted to even think of at that point to go and cook. Who was I? No one would take me, you know, you have that kind of, I'd just go in the audience and do that. I loved it because it was fun. It was something 20 minutes fun, uh, half an hour or whatever it was. It was a fun thing to do. So I think to be able to be a talent on the show years later, 
I feel so lucky and grateful. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel it's sort of come full circle, hasn't it? And it's such an important show. We've had lots of people on Desert Island Dishes that have said how important it was to them growing up and, and actually really instrumental in teaching them how to cook. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, when I go on James Martin, when I do James Martin's show on Saturday, he does the Saturday show. Because he used to be on Ready, Steady, Cook. He always, yes. he always like, um, and last time when I was on it, Paul Rankin was on it. And James, they were teasing me that these are the new faces <laughs> and we are the old faces. We, you know, they were let, willing my leg. But it was fun to know that these guys enjoyed this and made their careers out of it. And yeah. these, you know, they're so well known and respected. So I think for me... That 20 minutes is, is something really fun. And also all five chefs, for all five of us, haven't got ego at the moment. None of us have any egos. We're equally very different in the way we cook, but also very compassionate, very passionate about what we're doing. But at the same time, we're very, very caring towards each other. We look That's after. Nice. So... You know, if, if I'm doing something, I'll always say, you know, that's another person who can do that show or something. Things like that. We help each other. And Rylan is just a laugh. Yeah, he's so, he's so funny, isn't he? I think the reason the show is so successful is because it is all about having fun. And it really shows you that that is what cooking is meant to be. And I think if you're if you're learning and if you, you're not confident in the kitchen, I think sometimes it can be a bit intimidating and scary. And I think the reason it resonates so well with people is because it, it, it is just fun. It's to open a cupboard and you can create anything. Yeah. yeah. And what's the worst that can happen? Like, you know, you can yeah. make something delicious. And also it teaches you like you can have store cupboard, which the things which you can last you for ages. You can keep that. Yeah. Um, you know, spices and many other things that you can keep in a cupboard that you can actually go back to it and use it. So it's, it's, it's kind of a teaching and fun. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that is the dish you eat the most often. <sighs> I eat um, so many things all the time. Um, <laughs> you can so, give us a list. I think it's the eggs. I have to have eggs in my fridge or outside, depending on what, where I'm very lucky where I live. So I get fresh eggs, you know, every other week. So not every other day. So it's, um, it's from the farm. So in a sense, eggs is very important. I eat eggs every day. And how would you choose to have them? Um, depend. Sometimes omelette, fried, scrambled or poached. My daughter's like poached. Or even eggs is something which you use in so much baking, you know. It, it Eggs is such a huge part of so many different breads and cake and put, you know. So I think eggs is something I, it's very, I eat. I bet you make a delicious scrambled egg. I do. Spicy yeah. scrambled yeah. egg. <laughs> so as you mentioned, you wrote your first cookbook last year. So interesting that as the doors closed on your restaurant, you opened a new chapter as a cookbook author. It's called Zaika and it's vegan recipes from India. And you say that in India, this is just a way of cooking. Veganism isn't new or fatty. It's just sort of the way of life. See, when I was growing up, um, we didn't eat meat every day or even every week. We had, um, we ate meat once a week, um, once a month, sorry, because it wasn't a necessity. Uh, it was for my parents. It was giving good, wholesome food and putting their kids to private school because they never went to English medium school. They couldn't speak English. So for them, education was very, very important than anything else. And giving us really good, rich, wholesome food was very important. So I think 
that the the meat part never played a huge part in my life and the and punjabi families as a as whole eat a lot of lentil pulses sabji which is mixed vegetables or or just any vegetable um it's very very vegetarian and vegan food which naturally we don't have any create something to make it vegan yeah you know that's never in india if you're eating having a thali so thali is a combination as i said of different things like rice chapati we'll have dal um then we'll have vegetables fish or lamb or whatever anybody's eating it is equally important dal is equally vegetables are equally important along with other things um so i think for me i wanted to write a book a homage to my mom because that is how she cooked that is how i ate you know a lot of people say to me you eat meat and how did you write this book because this is the the chapter where i grew up in india was all about vegetarian um naturally plant based food so i wanted to write a book that of my childhood and the train journeys if you read my book it has train journeys it has um you know different things how i grew up and then when i came to this country and how and also when i had my restaurant it was very plant based heavy very vegetarian food we had a lot of vegetarian food yes we had game and other things but vegetarian food was also very much focused so people could come and eat there yeah so um i think the the food that i grew up in you know writing that as a first book was very important to me and i i always said any of my interviews that i'm not doing this because it's in or you know of course we have to think about a planet you know where i grew up local food seasonal food sustainable food was very very important that is how i was brought up yeah. so that's what's in the book you know that's why it's important not because it's trendy no yeah um that's interesting what you say about your parents not speaking english what was their reaction when you won your mbe so firstly when i told them then i had to explain in my language and what it is and what what it is about and we're going to go to the palace and everybody knows the queen anyway so i i think i had to tell them please make sure you do not tell anybody in the village so when it was announced they then my dad went and told everybody in the village <laughs> My daughter is going to the palace and she's going to get a medal from the queen so oh, she he was, they were so excited they are, I had to make them understand it so I think they don't get it I mean now dad you know he is very proud to see me what I'm doing and I'm, I have to explain them to him what, why I'm doing this what I'm writing and what I'm doing so he um you know when I did another feature last year when my mom passed away I was writing for New York Times articles and then I wrote to New York Times and said my mom's just passed away can I take my dad on the trip and write an article about a, a about a daughter and father going and grieving in their own ways and going to Himalayan trail and we did and it was such an amazing thing to do with my dad um you know i had promised to take my mom but then she passed away and i took my dad with me and that was the best thing i could have done and write about it because people grieve in different ways yeah oh romy that's so beautiful what a lovely thing to do <laughs> let's talk about the sixth desert island dish and that is your go to dinner party dish has to be samosas because everybody wants my samosas. Okay. <laughs> well, so if you have a dinner party and you haven't made samosas, people are going to there's going to be a riot. It's right. <laughs> and also if I go to somebody's house if they're having a dinner party all they want me to do is 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 that okay. and tamarind chutney. Okay. <laughs> that two things. Well, I mean, I don't blame them. 
what would you serve as a pudding? Would it just be a samosa feast followed by pudding? Um, or... No, there would be a lot of other, Indian food is not just, we'll have starters, like a lot of different things, um, like samosas, the tikis, and, you know, I make sheik kebabs and other things. A lot of things go with it. But then I will have dal, I'll have chicken or lamb dish, actually maybe both, and then the rice. Or sometimes people like the biryani I make, they'll make sure that I'm making that. So an Indian feast is a lavish feast. It's like a feast when you go, um, if you watch a film, you know, like Henry VIII, yeah. you will have a lavish feast. <laughs> so we have, in India anywhere, you know, if you're rich or poor, or middle class, everybody will have them feast according to your capability. Yeah. You have a huge selection of dishes. Um, and so it's a lot of work. You can't just have like a casual no, no, dinner no, party. Lot. No, 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 <laughs> never, ever. At, at my house... Anybody comes to my house, you will never be starving for many. Yeah. You know, they'll take food with them as well. <laughs> and also, that is why I made sure when I had the big launch um, at Carousel, Carousel people really changed my life. I really want to talk about them. Is I did a residency in Carousel yeah. for many years. And, and because of that, people started to know me. And that was my turning point of my career as well. I give a lot of credit to those, those guys. But at the same time, you know, it's just... Um, Feast is very, very important in our in our culture. Yeah. What would be a pudding that you would serve at a dinner? I party? never make puddings. I, I always say that. I never take credit for that. It's because all my I make sure people don't bring any wine or anything. They will have to make bring puddings. Okay. That's a good that's a good rule. You know? So on Desert Island dishes we have a cookbook corner. What is your most treasured cookbook? So my first cookbook was when I moved here was Delia's, you know, the different bakes she makes it's called delia's um which one the complete cookery yeah something like yeah. that my husband used to okay. really like him but my first ever book he bought me was nigella's how to eat yes yeah um because for me it was very important to understand very different things and that was a book if you come to my house is like it's, it's really dirty. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's been well, well loved. Yes, it's loved. Yes. <laughs> yes, I think that book and then Simon, you know, book and lots of books, very old. I'm very old school. I love all old kind of, you know, and, and then Claudia Roden. I mean, I'm re I really go back to books that I think make a difference in, in you know, and, and change. And Madhu Jaffrey, you know, Madhu Jaffrey's first book, No Pictures and stuff. She changed so many things for brown women, Asian women in the industry, you know, when she came in and then, uh, you know, be on, on the television when no one was, was on, you know, as a woman. And I think you have to respect, to give respect to her and many others who, who paved the way for us to yeah. be where I am today. It's not just happened because of me. It's yeah. because other people did that for us. Yeah. It's been a group effort. So we're on to the final seventh desert island dish. Romy, what is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island? Last. <laughs> it's got to be bread and butter pudding. Really? <laughs> yeah. It has to be made really well, you know. When I was in Scotland, sadly, um, Helen passed away and she taught me long time ago Helen and Angus they were a lovely couple who used to live next door to us and she taught me all really basic British food like shepherd's pie cottage pie bubble and squeak hot pot which people don't do that anymore um, and proper proper bread and butter pudding and it has to be the recipe I will hopefully one day be able to write about it but I keep that recipe very close to my heart um, and I think that for me will be my last 
any meal or before I die as well, yeah. anything like that. It's got this is a slightly less morbid <laughs> option. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just like, I, I think that will be my... Would you have, um, so if you're allowed a meal rather than just a dish, would you have anything to start with or are you just going to go straight to the pudding? I'm just going to, yeah. you, you're giving me, putting me on a desert island. And, yeah. and that, I'm going to say, just give me a huge pot of that. <laughs> do you have yours with cream? Yes. Yes. Cream. I don't, I'm not a fan of, I do like custard, but I like a cream and it has to have a lot of raisins and, and the way she made it. And then I turned it, I used to put saffron in it and, and or rose water. Yum. So it, it is something which, I, I mean, Helen never used to do it. I started doing it, just a little bit experimenting. And actually, it's really delicious. Yeah, I don't doubt that, Romy. I think I might join you for that last <laughs> meal. Romy, those are your Desert Island dishes. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So there we have it. Thank you, Romy, for another delicious day of Desert Island dishes. Don't forget that you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It gives the show a little boost and helps others to find it, which is exciting. If you don't already, come and follow me on Instagram at Desert Island Dishes. Uh, it used to be Margie Namora. We've had a rebrand and you can sign up for the newsletter and find a whole host of different recipes at DesertIslandDishes.co. I'm wishing you a very happy new year. Thank you for all your support with Desert Island Dishes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for spreading the word. And thank you for all of the lovely messages that you send me about it each week. It really means the world. Here's to a brilliant 2021 for everyone. And I will see you next week. Bye.